You're listening to Sacred Sips, the podcast that normalizes uncomfortable conversations about spiritual topics that normally stay hidden in the shadows. I'm Rochelle Paye, an intuitive channel. And I'm Serena Myers, an author and sacred transformation coach. And we're glad you're hanging out with us today. Grab your favorite bevy, kick back, and let's jump in. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for coming to hang out with us here on Sacred Sips. This week, we have got a really juicy episode. We are going to be talking all things womb space. And before you start running for the hills, uh, just just ride with us for a little bit because we're talking everything around creativity, around the energy, around the physicality. Um, Don't let this scare you off. It's actually going to be really juicy. So before we get too far into things, Rochelle, what's in your cup? So I have made myself one of my favorite teas I've been saving because, you know, COVID, I can't get to the UK and it's a Harrods strawberry tea that I put over ice and I am loving it. <laughs> I'm living for this iced tea season right now. Like it is, it is so hot for us in Vancouver compared to other people. Like it's probably nothing, but we are dying over here. <sighs> um, I'm also iced tea today, actually. I'm doing like an iced chai with some cardamom honey. Uh, decaf so that this episode doesn't fly by with me talking even faster than usual. And I'm super proud to say that I'm not just sitting here drinking water like I usually am. (laughs) It's the little things. Well, I'm going to give you all a sneak peek about what I'm currently going through. So today I woke up period early. In a way, it's a blessing. I'm going camping next week, but I am sitting here with a hot water bottle on my womb while it is sweltering in Vancouver. We are going through a heat wave (laughs) and just feeling a little bit intense, but at the same time, I'm grateful I do not have to deal with this campaign. (laughs) And that may or may not have been a part of the inspiration for today's session. (laughs) Who could say? Who could say? (laughs) So Rochelle, I know that um, before we started recording, we talked about, we wanted to be clear about the distinction about the womb space. So can you unpack that for our listeners so that they know exactly what they're signing up for in this session with us? Yes. So a lot of people equivalent, you know, womb with the female and that normally is a cis female that a lot of people connect it with but when i work with clients like whether it's cis men or however you may identify um, there is an energetic womb space that we all have so often when we talk about the womb space and what you're holding within that it's actually the energetic space rather than the physical so even if you've had a hysterectomy or you know you don't have the anatomy, it's all good because everyone does have both that masculine and feminine running through them and that etheric womb space, which is what we're often talking about. Yeah. And if you guys have heard, um, you know, any of the language around the second chakra, like this is that space. Um, The womb space is a really pivotal component of that area in our body. And um, I know that I really had to... um, rewire my own um, feeling about this space because I've done a lot of work around the mother wound that lives in here. Um, This month, I'm actually supposed to be recovering from surgery for having a hysterectomy, but it hasn't happened. And um, I really needed to make sure that I still felt connected to this part of myself, no matter what changes were going on there, no matter what healing needed to take place. So it is a really important part of our anatomy and our our, uh, energetic anatomy whether we have a physical womb or not. Yeah. And for me, I will say I have held so much shame around, you know, my uterus, around periods, around, you know, my sexual life and just my body. And so in many ways, um, this has really been propelling me to move beyond the shame and to have the conversations. Because growing up, I never talked with friends about periods. I actually hid my first period from my mom. Um, and then I got massively in trouble when she discovered it. But I just didn't want anything to do with it. Um, and I was fairly lucky because I didn't have a lot of menstrual issues up until my late 20s. And then after I came off birth control, basically all hell broke loose and my body was completely out of whack. And I had been kind of hiding and masquerading a lot of symptoms that were going on underneath that I didn't piece together because the hormones were um, acting as a bit of a, an illusion for me in many ways. Yeah, I I mean, I, I think I'd had heavy periods for most of my life, but because it was something I also carried a lot of shame around it. 
Um, I remember growing up, like the worst thing that could apparently happen. And like, let's be honest, it's bad, but not that bad is being wearing is wearing white pants and having your period start when you don't know. And there was so much like ridicule around it and, and, and hush hush and like the, the private snickers that internally it made this, it basically told me the story of like periods are bad. You have a period, therefore at least once a month you are bad. And it was to the point where like I was having, you know, because we, I wasn't having conversations around what is considered a normal period. You know, I would have these horrible, horrible cycles that would last way longer than usual. That would be completely debilitating. And I was just like, well, that's a, that's a heavy period. And, you know, I ended up being severely iron deficient. And when I say that, I don't mean, oh yeah, I had to take oral supplements. I had to go for iron infusions via IV multiple times a year um, because of my deficiency. And it wasn't until I want to say like my late thirties, my mid late thirties that I even knew it was heavy like or like, like not just heavy, but like abnormally heavy. And it was with a diagnosis of fibroids um, on the inside and the outside of my uterus and, and to the point where it was actually like tipping my physical anatomy inside. But it took that drastic of, of a situation for me to even ask the doctor about it because the shame was so big. So I think, um, I know that we're not the only two who have this. And I think that because you and I have also been really transparent about our, our cycle journeys, cyclic journeys, um, that it was important that we had this conversation because we really want to make sure that this is as normalized as it can be. Yeah. And so I will tell you, so how it came about that I had endometriosis was after I came up birth control, there was a lot of things, you know, sex was really painful, like sharpshooting pains, but I couldn't tell my doctor. I grew up with this family doctor and I never felt comfortable. Like half the time he couldn't remember what birth control he gave to me. I'm like, it should be in my chart. Like it's yeah. like, should be documented. Um, and then when he was doing my pap, I was in tears. It was so painful for me. Um, and let alone, you know, other issues connected to that, um, that I know we're not talking about today, but he sent me to a gynecologist and she basically just said, your only option is surgery or go back on birth control and just live that life. And there was a part of me, um, where I just knew I could no longer be, you know, on the pill, on the patch, you know, whatever it looks like for you. My body just was like, no, we can't go back there. So I was left basically with a lot of pain all the time, every period, super intense. Um, and it was something that I hadn't really had experience with. So a friend had suggested that I go see a doctor TCM and they specialize in fertility issues. And so I went very meekly to see this beautiful acupuncturist and I was like, oh God, it's a, it's a man, he's beautiful. And I have to talk about periods. <laughs> and he was, and he just opened up this expansiveness of exploration for me, you know, and I get really excited about it because it really did shift everything. My doctor never asked me what size my clots were. I basically just wanted to use tampons and not look at anything and just have it be that. And the fact that it's like, well, how much blood are you actually producing? Are you spotting? What is the breast tenderness? Like, are you having discharge? Like when and around the month, I squirmed in my seat, trying to pretend that these natural things weren't happening to me because I just felt so embarrassed. And the fact that I had seen so many medical professionals and not one person had asked me those questions, it just really showed how much I was also disconnected from my, my own cycle and my own rhythm. And with a lot of herbs and a lot of acupuncture, my endometriosis actually was improving. And even though it's still not hundred percent great today compared to what it was and compared to having surgery, I still say it's absolutely miraculous because the improvement I've had, the medical industry told me that it wasn't possible. See, that's the part that really frustrates me too. And I know, um, I have a friend who I met through social media because we were both teaching in the same, um, the same, the same panel. Uh, her name is uh, Dr. Cassandra Wilder. And her whole thing is like women recovering post birth control. And I want to be clear, we don't have any agenda. If birth control works for you, then like, by all means, but there are a lot of women who are in the same kind of boat of like, this is this is the protocol, do this or else. And, um, and it does wreak havoc for them. They kind of got to that point with me. And I, I lasted one month on birth control after my IUD randomly fell out that didn't, we don't even know how that happened. And I was so, I mean, I, I'm an empath. I feel things deeply. 
I felt things too much. <laughs> like it like turned it to like ir almost irrational levels. I really, and I, I just like could not regulate it at all. Um, and, and I basically went to the doctor and said like, yep, this isn't working. And they're like, do you want to try another birth control? I was like, I need to try something else because I don't want to mess with my system in this way. I actually tried to go the TCM route, interestingly. Um, I had a lot of luck with with acupuncture in, in different areas of my life and a lot of luck with herbs with a lot of different areas in my life. Um, but fibroids was the one, for whatever reason, that herb concoction did not agree with me. Like I would feel physically ill every single time. And I know that, you know, I, I know that there's like the power of the herb and the medicine, but I also know that the power of the lesson is sometimes there too. And this was when I was really removed from my body. This was when I was really trying to avoid and escape everything and the trauma that I was carrying. And so I do think there was a degree, I'm sure on a spiritual level, I believe anyway, of mm -mm, we're not done yet. Like you need, to, <laughs> you need to be here. You need to feel this. And when it wasn't menstrual issues, it was anxiety for me because my anxiety is so physical that I can't deny it. So every time, you know, my soul was like, Hey, we need you to pay attention. We need you to be here. There were always like these physical pain or discomfort or hyper awareness that would kind of just bring me back in. Mm -hmm. And what I have noticed too, and some of it is also on the new medication I'm on, but I think also the work that I've been doing for the last say seven months around embodiment means that I don't have the same, like my pain, I still have pain, but not like before. Um, I'm currently on a medication where I don't have a period, so I'm not having those problems. And yet I'm not still also checking out of my body. So it's kind of like they're working in tandem. It's like, Hey, you're doing the work. So we're not going to like set off the alarm bells. Uh, my anxiety is down. And, and so much of this is choosing to be in this, in, in the vessel, I think, um, at least for the stretch of my journey. And that absolutely makes sense because a lot of women that I've talked to, even you know, in physicals, they go out of the body. It's like that invasive space that you just check out. And now I'm at the point there I've had, you know, ruptured, um, a ruptured cysts in my ovary. I've had to go to the ER so many times for my reproductive system. <laughs> like, And you'd think, you know, each time it's like when you're splayed open and they feel that the physical is the best way to go because I have a history of endo now, they always give me a physical regardless of my symptoms and the ER, but it's less shame inducing each time. And so for me, I, it, I almost feel like I was so closed down and didn't even want to confront, you know, my anatomy that it's like that I actually have, you know, a vulva and a vagina and a uterus and I have a beautiful cervix and all the magic and, you know, that it holds and then the energetic womb space as well. And as much as it's a beautiful creatress and creator, it also can really hold a lot within it as well that when we're closed down it's just trying to hold on to things for us so whether it's past sexual partners energies the mother wound i know you mentioned earlier there's so many pieces that we can store into the center as well so often we use it to store things we don't want to deal with rather than allowing it to be that facilitator of birth and creation and in that space in between you know, I didn't mention it um, in my book. I wrote a book called Sacred Anger, and I, I don't mention it in the book, but anger is probably one of the things that women hold the most in our womb space because we have uh, a lot of times it's anger at our bodies and frustration with how they're working, especially when we're having these different types of problems, but also because it is the emotion that is like taboo. It's the one that we're not supposed to express if we are nice. And I noticed that um, in just casual conversations, not in any kind of like random study I've done within my social circles, but the women I know who are recovering people pleasers almost every single one has issues with their womb <laughs> and it's because that's the nurturing part of us right so of course like especially if we are over nurturing and thus neglecting our own need for nurturing um like it's it that part the part of us that is responsible for that energy and i know there's a heart element of it too but so much of it is in the mothering um it it plays up and it's just the place that says like uh hello you need to pay attention. Uh, how about you? Because you need some of what you're giving out to the world. So it's been a, it's been a really interesting correlation of like how many people I know who are um, highly uh, empathic and also a little loosey goosey with their personal boundaries and overgiving, and then they have this problem. It's um, it's really interesting. And again, because we're not talking about it. Nobody even knows. They just, everyone's just feeling responsible for this pain that they're carrying and it's not their fault. We haven't been taught. Yeah. 
And, and that's the thing I didn't have sisters growing up and even friends with sisters. I know you have um, sisters, but even some people say they didn't even talk about it with their sisters. It was just the thing unknown. Um, and I like, I'm just so excited and passionate about it because of my own healing. And for me, I've been just diving into, you know, the book called pussy. There's a really awesome book called about bloody time that just talks about the facts and the periods. And they actually do you talk about it with people when you first had your period, you know, how did you feel about it? Were you actually prepared? And most people were saying they weren't. So it was interesting to see the stats, even though it was a small percentage um, that they took it from, people said they weren't fully prepared or understood even what it was to have a menstrual cycle or, um, you know, pains during sex or things that you just deal with because you think you're supposed to rather than there's actually something physiologically incorrect or an imbalance that's there and so much shame. So for me, it's interesting because I see the empathetic piece you're talking about, but for me, it was just so much shame embedded into it. So for me, it's been a lot of shame and kind of being forced out of the box, so to speak, to accept my body and just everything that's revealing. And even at one point, my, one of my doctor TCMs was like, you need to start taking work off around your period because I kept injuring my back. And it was like, just the amount that we have inflammation and everything expands and increases. There's just so much beauty within the cycle, but it can be so easy for us to just view it negatively or to hate our bodies or to be like, Oh, I'm here again this month. Or if you don't have you know, a cycle and you're really struggling with, you know, say the hormones and you're off balance that way. There's just such an intricate balance of your own chemistry and we're not talking about it. And so, um, a lot of people squirm in these conversations. I used to squirm. <laughs> so, it's like, so just like the fact to allow yourself to just even place your hands on the physical body, whether it's the sacral chakra or whether it's on the pelvic bone, um, regardless of your physiology, it's just really important to reconnect yourself back into those sacred sexual areas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you're talking about the shame, I had a, it's going to sound kind of funny, but it's horrific at the moment flashback of being at this goddess festival. And we were in a circle and there was this beautiful leader and she was like, is anyone in the circle menstruating? And again, like shame was running high, but here I was like reluctantly putting up my hand. I was the only one. And then she was like, would you be willing to share your menstrual blood with us? And I was like, excuse me? And she's like, could you? And she expected because I was wearing um, like a reusable pad. The expectation was that I was going to reach in, pull her out and like, not the pad, but like some blood and share it with the circle. And I went, and she's like, it's okay, you can come back in your body. Because I guess I must have just went and just like checked out. And I mean, I know I've been so dis disengaged with myself that last year on my birthday, during a massage, I checked out of my body because it was so, even though it felt good, it was still something that was really hard to be in. Um, you mentioned a couple of books, you guys, I'm going to make sure that those are in the show notes as well, because I know some of the stuff is still happening on the DL and you're probably doing this homework on your own. Um, there's another book I want to add and throw into the pile, which is uh, Love Your Lady Landscape by Lisa Lister. And one of the things I love about it is she's also the author of a book called Witch. So she really has this kind of a degree of it. And I was thinking too, when you were saying about um, taking time off around work, um, if we look at like traditional ways of doing things in the, the days before, and even in some um, communities now, that is the natural way of doing things. We are supposed to slow down at this time of shedding and releasing. And the rest of the women in the villages come together to support that woman to, and pick up the slack. And we all get to do this for each other. And there isn't enough of that in, in modern society. And I think that it's missing. And I know like Cassandra even recommends like changing your workouts, changing your diet, using seed cycling and those types of things so that you are being supported at every stage of your cycle, not just menstruation. And that's the thing, even if you're not physically menstruating, you still have a cycle. And so you'll find yourself with highs and lows and dips and being uncertain as why. And your body has its own natural rhythm and cycle. And so even if you're not physically menstruating, you're still moving through the motions and moving through these cycles. And 
it's often not correlated to your own internal rhythm. And so it's really important to tune into your body to see when your peaks of energy are there, when you feel you need to retreat a little bit more and just nurture. And then you'll start when you, when you start tracking it, you'll start to see when you can really be out in the world and vibrant. And then when you need to take a little bit more introspective time. No, it's funny that you're talking about that because one of the things that we said we wanted to look at today was uh, the ability to receive, the, the ability to ask and then receive help as well. And I feel like that really plays into that. And some of that is that same kind of shame of um, not wanting not wanting to ask for it, not wanting to admit that you need it, which is a really big one of mine. I have a story that I have to do everything by myself, even though I have a lot of evidence that that is not truth. And I know that I hold those stories and that energy. I, I feel it in my womb space. I also feel it kind of in my hips. And I know people often talk about um, the energy of like carrying the world on your shoulders and how a lot of people will have tense shoulders. And I get that too, but there's something in this, this area of help uh, that I really feel in that lower part. Like it is almost, it is, it is, it's not just vulnerable, but it's that, that old belief around vulnerable, meaning weak not the power of vulnerability of being able to be open and ask. It's funny because as soon as you said the hips, I got the image um, of throwing a kid on the hip while continuing to do the rest of the work. So are you mm. piling two energetic kids on your hips while then continuing to get, get on with your day and do the, all the other things? And how many women do that physically and metaphorically? Like mm -hmm. it is huge. And I think some of that is our loss of community. It is our loss of um of, of togetherness. And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about modern life because this has been happening for way longer than the last you know year and a half. And, you know, without wanting to sound like, hey, let's sell all our goods and move on a commune, like how do we integrate that into that same sense of togetherness, that same sense of shared responsibility, of equity, of caring for something and someone other than yourself and your immediate people? Like how do we bring that, do you think, into this life? can we? So for me, I try to be a little bit more intentional, but bridging the gap with the conversation, I think it's just starting to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because the more we openly can talk about things, it almost gives permission for other people to talk about things. So I also like to just lead by example. And if I'm not willing to do it, then how can I expect other people to be as well? Yeah, I know you mentioned that I have sisters, but I'm also the oldest. So I've had to be the one to kind of open the door and have all the awkwardness. And uh, I'm lucky that my sisters are also young enough that there is a little bit of, um, it's almost like a, I'm, I'm not like a second mom, but there is kind of like a built-in like parental figure kind of thing in there because we're uh, 11 and 14 years apart with my, with my two sisters. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of like, a, oh, she's talking about this, but also, hey, I can talk to her about anything. But what about the people who don't have sisters? What about the people who don't have um, close female friends? And I think we need to find these communities, these spaces where these conversations can even happen. Because I know Rochelle and I have gone for coffee and people end up eavesdropping on our conversations and whatever, but I don't think they'd want to necessarily engage with this one as much as they could. Do you remember the one with the farting animals? I had a farting animal coloring book and we were talking about it in a coffee shop and there was a fellow who like could not stop laughing and he admitted that he was over overhearing what we were discussing <laughs> but i think there's a so i know you think people might not want to chime in but i think there is that beauty of listening to be like okay this is the discussion that's happening and how exciting is that because it's like if we can start these conversations in coffee shops regardless of how uncomfortable you might be at the same time, it's like how liberating, you know, with our bodies, because there are parts in the world where if someone's menstruating, they're not allowed to go to school still. You're not allowed in a religious, um, you know, mosque. And you, like, there's a lot of places and temples that you're not allowed to go into if you're menstruating. So a lot of people connect this either dirty or you're not sacred during this time. When to me, it's become one of the most holy tendering experiences to my body because my body's like, you need to take care of me in a very nurturing, different way right now. 
Um, so I do think that we are on a precipice of having, you know, book clubs around the reclamation of pussy book. It's like, I even will tell you, I saw my husband flipping through my book about bloody time. And he was looking at all the facts and like my heart just overjoyed. And he's like, oh, and he's like, this is all about periods. I'm like, yeah. And then he just kept looking through it. And I was like, is that not a hallelujah moment? No <laughs> like, kidding. Just because I don't think we talk enough about it in sex ed in school. It's like, you're basically told you will bleed, you know, this will happen every month. And until you go through menopause or have a hysterectomy or have something else happen to your body. And you're not even told actually really about menopause or hysterectomies. You're just told you will bleed every month till you die. At least that was my upbringing. Mm -hmm. So it's also, I think the more we can just start discussing it. Um, and I'm kind of connecting this to how spirituality used to really be in hidden in the shadows and people wouldn't talk about it. Now everyone's talking about their favorite crystal or, you know, this crystalline energy that got downloaded. So I think it's just setting the precedent and then allowing other people to really join together and just openly have these discussions. And honestly, maybe the coffee shop is lower stakes than someone you actually know, because if you do get embarrassed, you'll never have to see that person again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Until you, they're like, oh, hey, you're the period girl. <laughs> the period girl. Do you know what's so funny? It's when you were talking about this becoming a bit more mainstream. I had this flash of, I'm trying to think of how old I was. I think I must have been about like 10 or 11 when My Girl came out. Did, did you see My Girl? I did. Yeah. yeah. So so Veda, you know, it's a coming of age story, of course. And so Veda ends up getting her first period and her best friend is a little boy. And he's like, you know, do you want to come out to play? And she screams, don't come back for five to seven days and slams the door in his face. And, you know, it's like, this was my introduction to that, to that world. Like, of course we think that it's going to be like this horrible thing. And, you know, further to your point around the temples and stuff, I would also have interpreted that same thing about this is dirty. You're not welcome here. But if anything, it should be, no, this is your day off. Like, you don't have to be reverent. You get to you know, bow to the church of yourself. You get to be with your own temple. And I think if we could reframe that where it is actually not that you are not allowed, but actually that you are being invited to take that same devotion and turn it inward, like how powerful would that be? Mm. I love that. All the things I wish I could have thought of when I still had a period. <laughs> <laughs> Because I am currently, um, you know, taking a medication that emulates menopause. I get hot flashes. It's really fun. I'm only 40. Um, but this whole thing was around like helping me to not be iron deficient, helping me to ready my body for, for a hysterectomy. And it's pretty drastic measures to get to this point. But then when I look at the family members that I have who have the same symptoms that I do and the same complications that I do, they were menstruating until their mid-50s. And I'm not doing this for 15 more years. No, thank you. Like if this was, if, if they were normal cycles and this was just the part of the way of being, that would be one thing. But to have, you know, cramps that take your breath away and cycles that if you stand up, you're going to hemorrhage and maybe have to go to the hospital. Like this is, this is too much. I, I if we're going to be completely blunt. Like I have um, past things I have referred to as clot babies because they were so huge. We don't need to do that. And in fact, we need to find the supports that we can get. In my case, it was extreme mental, uh, medical intervention. You had wonderful luck with TCMs. We need to find whatever that is that helps us like get a bit of reprieve. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be heavy. You do not deserve to suffer just because you've been given this piece of anatomy. We said too, we were going to talk about creation and creativity and this space. We're going from clot babies to create creation and creativity. Because it all starts with the letter C. So we're going to go the alliteration route. <laughs> I know that um, in this last, I don't know, at least six months, I felt like I've been in limbo where I'm refining my footing, redefining who I am and how I want to show up in the world, claiming the next level greatness is how I always describe it because I have sometimes some resistance to really standing in my power. And um, I've always thought of that as actually being disconnected from the womb space because I am really creative. I am really, I just communicate in that way of I'm expressive with the things that I birth into the world, despite not birthing actual humans. And um, 
and I've, I, you know, it wasn't until we were prepping for today's call when we had the little like five minute break beforehand where I, I ran to the bathroom and came back with this idea, this like knowing that it's not a disconnection at all, that limbo also lives in the womb space, the space that we create from. And in fact, it's an invitation of like, how comfortable can you be with the being instead of the doing in that space? The answer is not very, and I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the invitation. Yeah, I know we both have had, it's like limbo feels painful in many ways because we're innately taught that we need to keep pushing forward. You need to be creating, you need to be doing, otherwise what's your value? Um, And I don't know if you can hear the construction noise (laughs) drilling that in. (laughs) So it's like when you're in limbo, when that guidance isn't coming, it can be very challenging to just trust that process and that higher power and your own internal knowing that now is not the time. And you'll talk to people that are like, you just need to decide to get over it and just do something. But when you keep coming up against dead ends or you keep trying to do something in the space and it just becomes more and more painful because you're just scrambling to get out of it rather than softening into it and allowing Mm -hmm. it to then the current carry you. Yeah, because the brain wants to tell you that taking action is going to feel good, that it is the way of busting out of the inertia that comes from limbo. The brain is full of shit because <laughs> that is not truth. Um, because taking the wrong action does you no service. In fact, it just hits the reset button and you go back to the beginning of limbo again. Um, the allowing part is so important and there has to it's asking of you not just to be in that space not to just allow yourself to be uncomfortable not just to find new ways to define yourself outside of your productivity and the things that you are doing and showing up with in the world but also to trust in divine timing and to trust in yourself to know what the next right thing is and when the next right time is And that is a tall order to fill, especially if you were earlier in your journey and you don't 100% know what that trust feels like. Here's what I can tell you though. If we were to distill everything down to like one tiny little kernel, I would say follow the joy, follow the expansiveness. If it feels open, if it feels beautiful, there's something there for you. If you're doing something out of obligation or the word should, it's probably not your best place to start. <laughs> so we can use our joy as our inner compass, especially in the early days where we're calibrating into our full on knowing if we just look at the energy of what feels good, what feels open and possible. That can sometimes be like a baby step way into into working with that inner navigation system. Yeah. And if nothing feels joyful, it's also, well, what can I do today? Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times we have that forward vision and that's what carries us. But what happens, especially right now, because so much is crumbling for people, that vision is lost. And a lot of people aren't experiencing that forward momentum of this is what's carrying me through. And in truth, all we have is today. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And this is where I'm really fortunate for my recovery because what can I do today? that will allow me to go into this. And it might be joy, joy might be your compass, but what if you actually really need to feel and sob and it will feel joyful on the other side, but that might not feel joyful in this moment. And I know I have had on my knees crumbling in the void because it feels so painful or I feel so disconnected, but what I'm not doing is trusting myself to to actually know what I need and to go into that discomfort because we want to be comfortable. And so there there's different levels of what we can follow. And so I understand my joyous action might be the grief. It might be feeling the anger and expressing that. Um, But depending on what your perception of joy is, it might be a very, it might be trying to attain happiness rather Mm -hmm. than moving through the presence of the moment. Yeah, I think that's because I said joy had the exact same thought of what you just said. And that's where openness came from because it was and I don't mean openness as though as as in pleasure, but isn't physically how it feels in the body. If you start to feel resistance, if you start to feel like you're closing off, if you start to bump up against things, if you find yourself procrastinating on things that you quote unquote should be doing. These are all the signs of like, uh -uh, no, Um, but sometimes the path of least resistance is something as uncomfortable as ugly crying on the couch for days. Um, 
one of the things that is, you know, really powerful is knowing when to give yourself the space to let it be messy, ugly, whatever, and when it is actually time to push through. And in general, my, my usual rule and usually what I try to do with myself is like give yourself the space and the grace because most of the time that is what's needed and trying to fight that just prolongs the healing. And one of the things that I had the conversation with um, my body image coach this week was around when I get to the freeze response where I'm shut down and I stop giving a shit about anything. She's like, this is not the time that you indulge in it. <laughs> when you've gotten to the point of freeze, the only way out is movement of some kind. And she's like, doesn't mean you have to go and run a marathon. That's not what I'm saying at all, but it's doing one small thing. And maybe it is just having a gentle stretch. You know what I mean? It's And we want to create the spaces that are um, intentional for, for what we're feeling, that honor where we're at. We just don't want to set up camp and live there for forever, where we forget that this is something that is happening, that is passing through us and not our actual state of being. Mm -hmm. And that's when we need to find those tiny little steps of what is one thing that I can do in this moment that'll feel better. Maybe it's getting in the shower. Maybe it's drinking a glass of water. Maybe it's just one really big stretch with your arms up to the heavens. Maybe it's a prayer. And knowing the difference of, do I just need to be in this space and wallow for a bit? Do I need to kick my own ass a little bit and say, okay, we've, we've done this. It's time for, it's time to move some, to move this on a little bit without bypassing yourself. <laughs> but that's, that's the tricky part, right? That's the, the nuance. And in the famous words of my sponsor with my food addiction, my echoes in my mind, just cut the fucking veggies, Rochelle. <laughs> <laughs> Because when I first started my journey with food recovery, I, so basically when I weigh and measure, when I know that's necessary for my spiritual, mental, well, and emotional well-being, I need to actually get really clear about weighing and measuring everything because it takes the gray zone and it makes it easier to live in the gray when I can get clear on my food. Because if I'm adding food obsession on top of it, or I'm always like, when am I going to eat next? Did I eat enough? Did I not? Maybe I can have a snack. It consumes me and it's very subtle and you don't realize how much of your energy is getting caught up in that. So when I'm eating on a planned program, I weigh and measure everything. And it's a lot of veggies. It's like two cups of salad at lunch, three cups at dinner. And I remember one time just feeling like such a child, not wanting to eat my food program. And guess what? When you don't want to follow your program, you need to reach out for help. So whether it's your sponsor, whether it's a friend, you physically, one of the tools of recovery is that you need to call someone for support. And I remember her saying, it's like, I was like, I don't want to do this. I just want to eat. You know, I wanted that satiation and that comfort and I wanted to continue my patterning, but I knew I couldn't because it would be destructive for me. And she just said, sometimes you just got to cut your fucking veggies. <laughs> so she's like, just cut your fucking veggies, Rochelle, and then you'll have your dinner. You won't have to spend this energy on, I don't want to eat that. It's like, when it's done, it's done. It's there. Um, and so it's like, sometimes I go to that when I'm getting really in the sulkiness. And so there's a difference between feeling sad and grief and being that entitled kind of tantruming child. It's very different of the, I don't mm -hmm. want to. So if it's the, I don't want to, sometimes you need to cut your fucking veggies. <laughs> and if it's, but if it's more of the, like, this physically doesn't feel possible and that's your truth, then what can you do right now that will make that kinder for you in this moment or spark a little bit of kindness for yourself. Yeah. There's a wonderful account on TikTok that I follow. I think she's called domestic blisters and her whole thing is about cleaning up the depression house because you just neglect things for so far, then it becomes really overwhelming. And now you're just at the tail end of depression and you go back into it because your house is fucking depressing to look at. And so she has all these different strategies and one of her things is like, if it takes too much energy to do the dishes, to make dinner, get paper plates. And sometimes we need to cut these corners to give ourselves the space and the grace to be with wherever we're at. And it's so funny because we talked about asking for help at the beginning and picking up and calling the sponsor, like that is asking for help. And one of the things that, that we had talked about before we started recording that I thought was really important to mention is to be mindful about who you're asking for help. Because if you are in a place, particularly if you're in that petulant place or if you're in a place of self-pity, we all get there sometimes. I wallow there every so often, it's really fun. Um, sometimes we're going to say, 
well, I'm going to ask for help because this is the thing to do in this place. And then I will reach out and ask for help. And the person I know is unreliable. The person I know who's going to say no, who is too busy, who will do a shit job at helping me. All these different ways of reinforcing the story of actually, no, Serena, you are in this on your own. Figure it out. So we need to like taking that step to ask is so important. Like, I really want to celebrate you for for being able to be in that space. But I really want you to be mindful about who you're asking, particularly if you have these stories or you're in this and alone and where you can't ask for help. And that if you ask, you're not going to get it. It's really like, who, who are you asking? And if there isn't the right supports in your network, what can you do to make sure they're there? Because you deserve to have people that if you pick up the phone and say, this is an SOS, I need you. They're like, yeah, I got the bat signal. We're gonna, <laughs> it's go time. You know, you deserve to be supported in this way. And we don't need to reinforce already shitty feelings. We don't need to seek out further validation of how shitty things are. It is okay for it to be good and easy and loved. And so if you're going to be in this place where you're asking for help, ask it from the people who are going to give it. You deserve that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say it's also asking from a place of not having expectation because Mm. sometimes that person that we want to rely on, what if they just aren't in that space to be able to hold it for us instead of going into the entitled, well, you need to help me. I'm in, it's like, no, you need to reel back and say, okay, well, what other pathways do I have? And this is where my, um, (laughs) my beautiful Akashic and, and angel brain kicks in because I look at the energetics of these things. And it's like, when you're asking the wrong people consistently, or when you're expecting, say your friend to fill that role that a therapist should actually be, um, we kind of create this own self. I don't want to say self-loathing or pity, but it kind of feels that way energetically where we then have a scroll of all the times we've tried to help ourselves. And then it kind of validates this part of us where we feel we're too broken to be fixed, or we have to do it on our own, or that we're always going to be perpetually stuck. And I can speak about this because I've been there. Um, so, and there is an air of entitledness with that. And that's really hard to see when you feel really in it. But there's also that space where the guides are saying, well, how does it support you more to remain in that energy of asking the wrong people than to actually find the right, the right pathways? And so sometimes people will come to me in a state of desperation because they're like, I've tried everything else and now I'm here and, and they'll be going off about all the things that failed them. And the guides are saying, well, in truth, did you know you needed to be here all along? And they're saying yes, but then just to face that part of them. And there's no judgment by any means. This is not a judgment. It's just sometimes we're not ready to actually face those pieces. So we create these perpetuating cycles rather than actually that allowance of shifting them and if, and this isn't, oh, I can't shift this yet. Another thing to add onto your plate. It's like, hmm, well, maybe this is still supporting me as a nurturing mechanism that I actually don't know how to shift or I'm not ready to shift yet. And so it's also having compassion that if you're seeing programmings and you're stuck in it, that if you are asking the wrong people or you feel you're not choosing, you know, what you need for yourself, it's like, well, how is that supporting you to stay there and do it from a compassionate overview rather than just another thing that's wrong with you? Yeah. I always say, I always refer to that as the payoff. What is the payoff? And because ultimately we are beings who are driven by motivation of some kind. And so we, everything that we do, we have an expected payoff from it. And like, sometimes that payoff is reinforcing a a not so gentle belief about ourselves. And so when we can look at like, why, why do I do these things? Or why did I engage in this way? Or why did I pursue this knowing that it was going to be an unhealthy outcome? And we can start to see those things that Rochelle was just talking about the belief systems or the programming that we have behind the scenes that is causing us to seek out these things. We can say, okay, great. Do I want this to be different? Because sometimes the known is more comfortable than the unknown. And not everybody came into this life to ascend into Zen masters who are going to, you know, beam up to the stars. Not That's not what everyone's mission is here. And so it's okay if, you know, I know people who can see really problematic issues in their marriages and they are not willing to leave. No judgment. You get to choose. You have free will. It's like the most beautiful gift you've been given. It's important to understand that you are choosing that so that you don't feel a vic- like you're a victim of your circumstances because you are actively choosing that you want to stay as opposed to, ugh. Like I, I have to stay or I'm obligated or I can't do it on my own or, or I'm afraid or whatever. You know, having that understanding about why we do what we do helps us to either 
accept it and choose it actively or to choose differently so that we can find new patterns for ourselves. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's what feels comfortable, what feels possible, what feels resonant for you right now. And I also will say just even from my own journey in the beginning, when I was so tender and so vulnerable, you're really held in that time point. And so I found that who I was asking, whether or not in the future, they were that support for me at the time it was there. So this isn't a space of, am I going to be a burden? Um, and here's the thing you get to ask, you're just not entitled to a yes. Mm. Uh, and people are allowed to say no to you and you're allowed to say no to people. Um, so, but asking doesn't mean that you're a burden or that something's wrong with you. If someone says no, it's just like, okay, well, I, that failure piece or what you've attached to that no, or feeling like a burden by asking, and it took so much energy. And then you were met with a no that can feel debilitating if you've attached a story to it. Mm -hmm. So for me in the beginning, when, you know, the beauty of a 12 step for me is that everyone gifts their time freely. You do not pay anyone in the program. I don't even know people's last names and occupations half the time. And there's this beauty of just showing up for people because you share this mutual sense of an addiction and life getting so overwhelming that you can't do it anymore and so unmanageable that you need to find a different way. And all people can do is share their journey. And so I've also had people where their journey just didn't resonate with what I needed to do. And that was okay, but I was still grateful for the different perspective because then it allowed me clarity with what action steps I needed to take. So there's a lot of ways that we might not directly get in that moment what we need, but if you're willing to take it internally and contemplate and sit with it and say, well, how does this actually sit with me? Um, I always say it's that perpetual friend you keep giving advice to and they do the exact opposite. Well, it's like, yes, cool. <laughs> it's like, it's not up to you to decide what they do with that. And you're choosing to give that time with them. Right. So there's, there's so much within this that I get that asking for help and reaching out for help can feel so vulnerable. And if you're met with something that doesn't feel like what you want, it can be so easy to put that back on yourself. But if you're, you can take a step back and just reflect on it or just say, okay, how do I pivot from here? Or what else do I need right now? Or even just cheer yourself on the fact that you could reach out but nine times out of 10 in the very beginning, when you're starting this, the guides normally will lead you to the right people, I find. I think that too. Yeah, because there's a, there's, there's a reason and they want so much for you to keep moving forward on this path. And so I find in the early days, the lesson isn't so much about the hardship and, and how you overcome things. It's how you can stay on the path. And so that's when they just kind of like scoop the wrong things out of the way to make sure that it's really clear for you to find exactly what you need. Who knew that we'd go from like periods to yeah. all of this stuff? That's what <laughs> happens when you hang out with us. We go all over the place, my friends. Um, Rochelle, you have got a wonderful oracle that you are bringing back for us. Did you want to share yeah. a little something, something for today? So the guides wanted to use the Archangel Oracle by Diana Cooper. I know I have like over 40 decks and they're using the same one, <laughs> but, but that just goes to show the potency of the energy that they want to bring in. So I am just going to see what card they want to bring forward for you. Oh, interesting. So we have Archangel Mary and Archangel Metatron. So I don't really work with Archangel Mary too much from what I've been known she's different than the Virgin Mary, so a slight different essence um, to me. Yeah, I feel them as different beings, um, but Archangel Mary's card says, open your heart with compassion and fold others in love. And what they're bringing forward with the enfold others in love is not taking them into that etheric womb space, but just imagining yourself sending out these blankets of love of just that heart space. Because when we can send things out from the heart, we're clear, we have no attachments, we're not plugging people into us, we're just sending out these blankets of love through the law of grace that really allow our energy and our heart space just to kind of really bridge that gap of being in yourself and in your selfishness and really just allowing that love to pour through. I do a practice sometimes where I walk around and every person I see in my head, I say, Buddha, Buddha. Buddha, because I recognize the divinity in them as though as is a me. And it can be a very powerful practice. It gets a little overwhelming if you live in a downtown city like I do with all the people. <laughs> 
but the the seeing the divinity in others, they're showing it's an extension of that love of just loving for no reason, just being able to love because you are a divine being and recognizing that in other people rather than needing to hold them in the womb space or help them from a needy position. So Archangel Mary is coming in to really help you open your heart with compassion and love from a state of divinity rather than feeling you need to take on or fix other people, places, and things. And then Archangel Metatron, he's stepping in right now as well to really help increase your vibrancy and your light. So he's talking right now energetically in the collective. We are really crumbling those core beliefs that are no longer aligned for you. So he's just saying you might be feeling that just that identity of who you are is crumbling and you don't even know who you are right now or what you need to be or who you need to be. And he's saying a lot of people are having these midlife, early life, late life identity crisis, and basically really being called to look within and see their own divine essence and compassion with compassion. So he's really coming in to step in from your energetic standpoint of creating these pillars of light for safety for you right now. So you can just take a moment and even shut your eyes and just really visualize the color that he's bringing in for you. I'm being shown a really beautiful orangey color with like these sunlight rays and beams, but for you, it might be a different essence and tone. And what he's doing is he's really just activating the external frequencies and he's helping you expand your energy body so you're fully and wholly protected. So he's showing a lot of contraction in the energy field as well. So where people have inhaled, they've been like, whoop, but they haven't exhaled. Mm. So he's supporting you to really feel safe to exhale and relax and know that you are held while also expanding your essence and your divine. Um, he's calling it divine fragrance <laughs> of who you are. So you can really allow yourself to step more into the embodiment of you rather than kind of hide from the aspects of what you think you need to be. I hope that makes sense. You guys can't see me, but I've got my eyes closed. My, my face is smiling. I was swaying back and forth because these messages are also for us. They're not just for you. And um, oh, the potency of that. And if you identify as an empath, I want you to rewind the part where she talked about Archangel Mary, because empaths are so prone to taking people within, to taking their stuff within. So play it as many times as you need for this to sink in, that you can love them externally without having to bring them in and take on their shit for you, for them. It's not our responsibility. Yeah. And there's a really profound beauty of being able to love someone where they're at without yes. needing to fix, without needing to change, without needing to even hand them a Kleenex box or hug them if they're crying. It's like to be able to witness someone just where they're at with reverence and beauty and love without feeling you need to do anything, but just stand there in awe and honor. It's a really profound gift that you can actually give to another person. I agree. I would say they're probably better than anything you can do. Any even wisdom you can share. Holding yeah. space is like, yeah. So thanks guys. I think this might've been a little bit longer than we usually go. And so we really appreciate you hanging out and, and gifting yourself the time and to unpack all of this within yourself and to ask yourself these questions. We always wanna hear how it, how it is for you. So you can jump into our DMs on Insta or comment and just let us know what you're thinking. And if you're like, you know what? I like that this was a long episode and I want even more. Well, we both have YouTube channels and we have random um, downloads that will come through or little lessons that we need to share, anything that we are feeling called uh, to bring into the world. And so we'll make sure that our channels are linked in the show notes as well. That way, if you do need a little more of us, it's there. It's us individually, but that just means there's twice, <laughs> twice as much to love. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. Um, we love and appreciate um, the time that you gift to hang out with us and we are so glad that we got to share this with you today so we'll see you again soon bye, bye.